Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. The Aloha State, Hawaii. Tyler, one of the Aloha. the one of the favorite places on the American shoreline, I think, for a lot of us. Uh, even on the mainland, I think we all think about how grand and beautiful and wonderful it would be to be in Hawaii. And uh, we're going to take a we're going to take a, a trip over to Hawaii today to talk about shoreline management, sea level rise, the difficulty of managing beach erosion uh, in Hawaii, and we've got a really cool guest to do that. That's right, uh, ladies and gentlemen. We've got Dr. Uh, Chip Fletcher yeah. with us from the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Yeah, Chip is the Associate Dean at the University of Hawaii Manoa. He is a professor in the Department of Earth Sciences in the School of Ocean and Earth Science and Technology. I love the academics. You know, they, the titles are great, but yeah. the... Uh, but the uh, uh, yeah, the, the, the School of Ocean and Earth Science and Technology. He's the vice chair of the Honolulu Climate Change Commission and leads an, an organization at the university called the Coastal Geology Group. He's an expert coastal, I guess, geologist, we'll find out, uh, but has been spending a lot of time uh, investigating conditions on the shoreline around uh, the Hawaiian Islands and in particular uh, came out with an article I think that really caught our attention in the journal Nature Research in August, so last month. And here's the title of that article. The risk of shoreline hardening and associated beach loss peaks before mid-century. The paper focuses on the island of Oahu. And uh, so we're going to get to talk to uh, Dr. Fletcher about that paper and about his work at the University of Hawaii. So I'm really jazzed about the, this conversation. I, you know, this is, we're talking about, I, I think it's fair to say that when uh, you think about the American shoreline and you think of one of the more progressively managed shorelines, in the conventional wisdom, Hawaii would be top of the list. I right think up so. there. Yeah. Right, damn the hell up at the tippy top. An island, yeah. for bloody sake. They got to be good they at gotta it. They got to be good at it. So to think about what's happening here from a systematic perspective, uh, it you see that even with the intention of being, I think, progressive minded to the coast, we are running into some problems. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that's what I think this show will be about. Yeah. And I think I'm really looking forward to it. But before we get into it, Peter, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at LJA.com. Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants offers high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, and the skilled and respectful crews to get your project built. Make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring the dune and wetland ecology of your home or barrier island. Learn more at Coastaltransplants.com. Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. 
They handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at dunesciencegroup.com. And be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. Uh, Dr. Fletcher, welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast, and thank you for taking time out of your busy day to join us. I know you're teaching uh, at the university today. We, we appreciate the time, time, time with you today. Well, thanks for the invitation. I'm really looking forward to the discussion. Well, I think uh, unlike, uh, well, like every other coastal state out there uh, on the American shoreline and around the world, uh, there is a force uh, that is uh, coming more into reality. Sea level rise associated, many believe, with climate change. We certainly believe that to be the case. Uh, And Hawaii is no different. But I think uh, what we're interested in, uh, Dr. Fletcher, is learning more about what the uh, what the great state of Hawaii faces in terms of sea level rise and uh, and and how the state can or should respond to that. Um, tell us about your paper and what you're what you're what you've been working on. So um, I am extremely lucky to have a group of uh, very talented graduate students and undergraduate students and been able to work with this research team uh, as various individuals uh, get their degrees and move on for about 30 years. And a focus of our research has been um, studying uh, the shorelines of of Hawaii, initially from the point of view of coastal geology. And yes, I am a coastal geologist because the Pacific for reasons related to planetary geophysics, has actually had falling sea level over the last three or 4,000 years, while much of the rest of the planet uh, has had rising sea level. But now global warming has taken over this natural trend of falling sea level Uh, And the Pacific has accelerating sea level rise, just like the rest of the world. And so our original idea was, original goal was to study the evidence for falling sea level over the last few thousand years. And from there, we got into using aerial photographs to determine past shoreline locations. Uh, We did that with a great deal of precision and accuracy, and it led to a large database of knowing individual properties that were experiencing erosion and those experiencing accretion. And we knew the rates of these historical, of this historical shoreline change. And that data was taken by some of the counties, County of Kauai and County of Maui to change their setback laws. So instead of the previous setback of just a flat 40 feet, um, they have a rate-based setback on, on Kauai. It is 70 years times the annual rate of shoreline change, uh, plus I think it's 40 feet. 
Um, and they have a second calculation, which is based on the lot depth. Uh, so if you have a very deep lot, um, there's a percentage of it that uh, is placed into the setback. And they take the larger of the two calculations. So I got into this, this business of collecting uh, data on shoreline change and um, quickly noticed that uh, beaches that used to exist along uh, big stretches of shoreline in, in Hawaii now no longer exist where there are seawalls. And it doesn't matter if it's a vertical wall or a sloping wall, which is called a revetment, but hardening the shoreline um, ends up causing the narrowing and, and then the total loss of beaches. And if you think about it, a, a fourth grader could understand the fact that if the ocean is rising and a beach is trapped in place, it's going to drown. It's going to be covered with water. And so under a situation of rising sea level, which we have now had uh, for well over a century, beaches must be free to migrate landward. And in so doing, they can stay at the edge of the ocean, which is how they are defined. So it, it became apparent very quickly that um, as we looked at the history of shoreline management going back many, many decades in Hawaii, um, when a private property, when a parcel would be threatened by erosion, the de facto management approach was to harden it, was to put in a seawall. And this continued even uh, through the 70s when we saw the creation of the National Coastal Zone Management Program at NOAA. Um, and that led to state level CZM programs that receive funding uh, from the federal office in order to enact certain policies and, and follow um, certain guidelines. And uh, the entire national coastal zone management system that was established in the 1970s and operating since then does not recognize sea level rise. It does not recognize that we have to get out of the way of our beaches if we want to protect them. The federal program and the state program and, and in Hawaii and, and uh, other states, we have county CZM programs. In Hawaii, it's the counties that, that really determine how they want to manage their individual island shorelines. They, um, and, uh, they are- well, yep. Dr. Fletcher, for the for our audience here on the mainland, uh, each of the islands of the of the state are individual counties, aren't they? Aren't there seven counties in Hawaii? Uh, no, there are four. Oh, four. Maui sorry. Maui has three islands, so there's okay. Molokai, Maui, and Lanai, and Kaholawe. So, okay. Um, together, they're known as Maui Nui, and there is the county of Maui, which includes them all. Um, and here's another funny thing, the, the executive heads of our counties are mayors, and we actually don't have any cities. Hmm. That is so. very Hawaii, Hawaiian. It's like <laughs> island geo, you know, yeah, more, you know, like how the foxes get smaller and, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. 
It's like governments get funky on an island. It's like they, they grow long necks and, you know, I don't know. It's like a funky... uh, biogeography of islands. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great book about it and it's quite true. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Anyway, sorry, we didn't mean it. But yeah, for the benefit of our audience out there, these counties individually manage yeah. their shorelines. And that is an interesting... Uh, Right. Uh, because there's no jurisdictional splits then on the island, which I kind of like. That's got to help. Well, there is a state setback, um, which is a flat 40 feet. And it's been exist in existence um, when the CZM law was created in the 70s, along with the national program. Uh, but it, it also allowed for counties to develop their individual setbacks. And they didn't do so f for a while. But then with the advent of this data uh, on rates of shoreline change, uh, Maui County and Kauai County picked up the idea of using a rate-based setback and have, have developed some very uh, creative and clever setbacks that I think are the most conservative, if you, if you use that term to indicate conserving beaches and conserving coastal ecosystems uh, in the nation. So very wide setbacks. I have looked at it, and I agree with you. I think they're, uh, they are, I think, some of the most conservatives, I would use the term progressive, but I get the point that you're saying conservative in the sense of conserving the beaches are is the coastal geology group who decides the annual erosion rate, which is a obviously a key factor in the setback on the in the counties yeah. that have decided who who's who arbitrates that decision. Well, I mean, it's not arbitrated. We we collect. Um, so we take aerial photographs um, we ortho rectify them, which means mm -hmm. that you uh, digitally on the computer, uh, you you correct them s so that they are not distorted by the photographic process. Right. And they are oriented uh, in the you know proper compass orientation. Um, and with these uh, accurate, these photos that are made much more accurate, we vector um, the vegetation line, which can be manipulated by landscaping, and we vegetate, uh, we we vector or draw a line along a natural feature, which is the low water mark. And because mm -hmm. Hawaii has very clear, clean waters, we can see the low water mark down at the at the toe of the beach. Great. And you know, we collect six to eight to ten aerial photographs. Um, the earliest being from pre World War II, World War Two. And then you take those basically consti constitute six to 10 uh, data points on a uh, XY axis with the um, horizontal axis being time and the vertical axis being distance, uh, distance from some reference point. Right. And you fit a line to that called a linear regression and you get a rate of change that basically averages the rate of change of all these positions you've got from all the aerial photographs. And we, we do that every 20 meters along wow. every beach wow. on That's Oahu, dense. Maui, and Kauai. Wow. And then you publish that data of, that is the annual annualized erosion rate. In, in Texas, this is done by the Bureau of Economic Geology at the University of Texas, or the guys who do the similar kind of analysis that you're doing there in Hawaii. And in the state regulatory uh, structures uh, it specifies that it's the Bureau of Economic Geology's analysis and data that drives the setback decisions here in Texas. Uh, 
So I'm curious, it's 70, this is the, as you said, the state setback line. And for folks out there who uh, listen to this podcast, I think they know what we're talking about. These are, this is a, when you're constructing along the shoreline, there are rules of the road that yeah, say they know what you're talking the about. Building we has talk to about be this all the time. Back away from the beach, a certain distance, so a setback line, right? And the state's got a 40 foot minimum here, and then 70 times the annual erosion rate. I'm curious. I'm thinking, what on Oahu on the North Shore, for example, is the annualized erosion rate? Because this this could add up 70 times the annual erosion rate plus an additional 40 feet is a real deal. There, that's going to add up to some numbers. Well, it actually turns out that the, you know, we've made a we've made a really strong attempt to identify the statistical uncertainties in our whole process. So, you know, what are the errors and uncertainties in orthorectifying an aerial photograph? And an aerial photograph is simply a snapshot of a shoreline. And you know, was it in March or was it in November? Were there big waves? Were there smaller waves? Um, our shorelines move like all shorelines uh, with the seasons. So we had to quantify that and assign an uncertainty to it. So it turns out that along more than 50% of our measurement sites, the rate of change is less than the uncertainty about the rate of change. In other words, it'll be one foot plus or minus 1.3 feet. And statistically, you can't distinguish it from zero but in the world of planning, the rule of thumb is the best available data. And so it's the best available data. And um, that data is delivered to the counties. And every couple of years, we get new aerial photographs and update it. The most recent time was uh, 20, I think it was 2018. And um, uh, on Kauai, uh, the 70, by the way, is the average lifetime of a wood frame house. Right. So that's the logic there. Good logic. Uh, yeah. I think North Carolina is 60 times an annual erosion rate. But mm. here's what's interesting about this. And Tyler, did you want to jump in? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you guys can really walk into this. I could walk uh, into this. Uh, but can stuff. we just can we can I just uh, <laughs> pump the brakes just really quick? Yeah. Uh, chip. Uh, Fletcher, I'd like to learn a little bit more about you. Here we are. We're talking numbers. We're getting into it. I feel it'd be a little indecent if we didn't take a minute to get to know each other before we, you know, dive into the <laughs> dive into erosion rates and, you know, sexy stuff like that. So, uh, Chip Fletcher, tell me how you can we do a quick bio here? I mean, uh, there's two things I want to talk about, Chip, is you like your story how you came to be doing what you're doing here with the Coastal uh, Geology Group and uh, in Hawaii and how you how you got there. And I also want to talk about Hawaii more broadly and how Hawaii got there, because I just it's such a from a coastal geology perspective, it's just got to be such an interesting place. I just, you know, out there in the middle of the damn ocean <laughs> like that. It's just a. Uh, I would love to hear, you know, a brief. Uh, I'm sure you could go for a long time about what's going on with uh the geology of Hawaii, but I would love a, a rendition. Uh, but Chip, if you, if you wouldn't mind just starting with your background, how did you, where do you come from? How did you come to the University of Hawaii and start this group? Well, 
I was born in Detroit, Michigan, and grew up in the famous coastal city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. That's my dad's hometown. Yeah, and Pittsburgh. I love Pittsburgh. Great yeah, city. I remain a Steelers fan to this day. Um, and, you know, all through uh, middle school, high school, and even through college, my number one interest was backpacking, climbing, um, whitewater, kayaking, just being outside in nature. And I thought I would major in forestry and get to be outside in nature, but I ended up um, in labs uh, dissecting fetal pigs and other things like that. That was cool. I have a natural curiosity. But at the same time, in college, I was taking a geology course. Huh. And I had never heard the term geology, and I walked into the first day of class, I was a freshman, and some guy is talking about rocks that totally blew my mind. What, what is it about rocks that could possibly be interesting? Rocks are things you kick out of the way or stub your toe on. And every single class period that semester and following semesters, I was just blown away by all the information that is available on earth history, um, paleoclimatology, natural processes on earth's surface. And so I became a geology major. I ended up going to graduate school at University of Delaware, um, which is a coastal location. And, and a great coastal, great coastal university. Some really great yes. coastal engineering uh, professionals come out of there. Lots of them, actually. Yeah, no, Pre we've, premier yep. premier coastal school. It is. Uh, that's very true, and they have a great sea grant program and a great marine science program. Um, and so I studied the uh, the rise of sea level associated with the end of the last ice age and how it flooded the continental shelf around Delaware and the Mid Atlantic area and Delaware Bay. Uh, so fundamentally. I, I like to core and dig and understand sediments and rocks and things like that. And um, I was, after I got my PhD, I was looking for a research university and I heard from a friend that they were, uh, there were openings at University of Hawaii. And my big dream at that point was to apply and get invited out for an interview. I thought, all right, man, this is going to be a free trip to Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame you. That's how we all feel. That's about a strategic Hawaii. move that's, right yeah, there. All, that's how we all yeah. feel about it. Worst case, you I make mean, the short list. And that's right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, by then I had gotten married and we, we had uh, two wonderful little girls. And my wife just looks at me with this look in her face. You're going where? And if you get a job there, you expect us to move out with you? She comes from... Uh, uh, Catholic Irish family in Philadelphia. Oh wow! Um, with six six brothers and sisters, so uh, moving out to us, you know, the most remote set of islands on the on the surface of the planet was was a pretty difficult thing for everybody to swallow. But anyway, I got the job offer. We moved out here in 1991. Wow! And uh, you know, it's just been a plethora of questions to study and answer, and I. I spent the 90s, frankly, on the seafloor in scuba with a drill, drilling the reefs around here uh -huh. and just putting together the history of sea level rise as it's recorded in uh, layers of coral. So, wow. 
that's came very before the study of beaches. That's very interesting. And you mentioned in your setup here of uh, this discussion that uh, Hawaii had been under uh, had been experiencing sea level drop, drop uh, yeah. which I was unaware of. Can you do a quick little history of Hawaii? I know like, you know, how many millions of years ago and the volcanoes. I, I don't I know a little bit. I know there's volcanoes and I know there's lava. But, you know, what what what's the history of that place? You know, geologically. So so um, the Hawaiian Islands are one of the proofs of plate tectonics because there was a single point called the Hawaiian hotspot, and uh, it releases magma um, huh. that comes from ultimately uh, the mantle and builds large volcanoes known as shield volcanoes. And then the, the moving Pacific fl- uh, plate shifts those volcanoes off of the source of magma, um, and they become dormant, and eventually they erode and after about six million years uh you're in the position of Kauai. and uh north of that um you have atolls and so wow from volcanoes that are zero age on the south shore of the big island the big island consists of five shield volcanoes and they range in age from zero to maybe four or five hundred thousand years then you go to Maui, which is the next one to the north, and you're looking at volcanoes that are one, one and a half million years. God, that's and so Malakai. cool. So every island is older than the one to the south, and the moving seafloor, the moving Pacific plate is the reason why, and it's a proof of plate tectonics. So are you, like, as a geologist or someone who's interested in, you know, geology, sediments, earth moving plate tectonics for example i mean is this not like i mean it seems like kind of an idyllic place to work i was it's the disneyland of geology is the nirvana it's the cool place to be i gotta think Uh, you know i have loved my career i i am one of those people that loves going to work and is very happy in their job that's a good that's a good thing but i've got to ask you because my my mother is also from a large irish catholic catholic family in massachusetts 10 so i completely (laughs) got it when you said and you were going to take us where because those family gatherings are a big deal uh but uh i've got to i got to ask did she come around and say you know what turns out this hawaii thing was a pretty good gig how did how did it play out it played out extremely well. So my my wife and I met at University of Delaware Graduate School, and she got her PhD in micropaleontology. Hmm. Um, she tried her hand at being a postdoc researcher out here, and then remembered uh, when she was an undergrad that before she double majored in geology and biology, she was thinking of majoring in education. Hmm. And so, uh, within a year of coming here, she got a job as a uh, biology teacher at Punahou Academy, which is where Barack Obama went to high school. Wow! And it it's the it's the nation's largest p- private school. It's got it's like a small college. It's got four thousand kids there. Wow! And she's had just a fantastic twenty five year career uh, teaching kids and moving up through the ranks. And now she's the head of her own private school uh, called St Andrews um, Schools. And it was formed, wow. it was created by uh, Queen Emma 150 years ago when the monarchy of Hawaii Shit. was still in place. 
Wow. That sounds like a success so, story for but some two I'd smart say, people here. I, what I, a powerhouse. You take your couple. Uh, oh my god. Well, you take your uh your Irish Catholic wife from, you know, New England, kind of that <laughs> tradition, you bring her out to Hawaii mm-hmm. and she finds the mm-hmm. the school. Yeah. I think that's perfect. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, the, I have to Wonderful. say it's it's very interesting and I love just pondering on the the big geologic time there and i i think that when we're talking about coastal management in particular and you know it all begins i guess with our our desire to be want want to be right next to the water as people sure and uh you know you know we love the coast to death totally yeah we do we do um yeah, and and even when we try to get it right, as as is the case, I would say with your with you know moving this back to the uh, to the setback rules, you know we want to give the ocean the room, the beach the room to exist, and we also clearly value it because you look at the way we develop around these places, but we just are in a pickle with letting the land retreat. We just can't let it do that. We're it not seems that anywhere in America, I don't think. No, it, well, it's like a skill we haven't learned as a species yet. Yeah, I want to. I want to talk about that because this. <laughs> I, I like this quote. I wrote it down as you were doing your overview that beaches must be allowed to migrate landward, or they'll be drowned. They're going to disappear. This is what the four-year-old kids understand, and this is quite true. And it's it's a mistake that you can you can find in every coastal state. Uh, is we decide that the that the land is going to be in position A and the water is going to be in B and that's the way it's going to go and we're going to put stuff right at A and we're going to expect the ocean to stay over there. Well, this sea level rise is changing the equation. So I, I was very interested as you were describing the analysis, the the the, uh, the geo rectification of the photography and coming up with the rate analysis. Um, it sounded like. Uh, Sea levels were falling in the Pacific region around Hawaii for thousands of years. And then suddenly, maybe around, it looked, sounded like around 1900, that started to change for some reason. And when you look at the rates of shoreline change now, um, are you fully able to incorporate this projected sea level rise into those uh, rates and is that what this article, it seems to me this is what the focus of this article that you, you, you wrote in uh, the Nature Research Journal in August about this risk of, of shoreline hardening and beach loss as a result of increasing sea level. Boy, I hope that's not too complicated a damn question. I'm, trying to, I'm really trying to get to this rates issue and whether yeah. this yeah, sea level rise is built into that at this point. So... so um as you know, shorelines and beaches are, you know, um, st- statisticians would refer to them as noisy places. They, they shift landward and seaward. They erode and accrete back and forth seasonally and with storms and even with individual swell events that come in. So that th- these are very noisy systems uh, operating in this envelope and slowly over time that noisy uh, system is sliding landward because of sea level rise and the answer to your question is that the noise in most locations in our data 
has uh, still swamps the signal. Okay. So we can't uh, extract the signal of sea level rise in the shifting of the beaches, um, specifically beach by beach. But we can say that every island has uh, far more eroding beaches than accreting beaches. And you see evidence of things like 80-year-old trees that are being undermined um, yeah, by erosion. That tells you something. Right. Right. And, and roads and houses that were obviously built at a safe location that today are being undermined by erosion. So there's clearly sea level rise at work. It's sort of the, uh, the operator behind the curtain um, and hasn't emerged statistically yet. Right. I understand. So it's not, it's not quite discernible in that right. way, but the overall trends and the, and the, it's not circumstantial evidence, it's direct evidence, but it's clear that, that, uh, shoreline retreat is an increasing concern in the state and what what i'm interested in is is in the in the article is you're 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 focusing very much on the shoreline hardening response to that it's kind of the knee-jerk response everywhere right uh the first thing you do is start throwing concrete riprap and maybe you get more serious and actually design a seawall or something or a revetment but um it's the it's the decision, it's the management decision or the response of hardening that basically uh, convicts the beach to disappear. I don't know if that's not the right word I'm trying to think of, but it 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 guarantees you that if you go on a hardening binge under these physical conditions, your beaches will no longer be there. That's sort of an unavoidable conclusion, isn't it? Yeah, Maybe. that's that's exactly right, and that's what I was referring to. Uh, that a that a fourth grader could understand this fundamentally. It's it it's it's trivially simple that when sea level is rising and the beach can't move uh, landward, it will disappear. It will drown in place. And there are lots of detailed processes how that happens. You know, if you put a wall up, you get wave reflection, you get scour, you get flanking, you get all these other processes. Uh, but it all adds up to one story, as you said. The beach narrows, and then it then it disappears. You know, I believe beaches belong to our children. In Hawaii, it's the beaches where uh, families go. Um, It's where children, babies first hear the wind and they, they hear the waves breaking and they experience the temperature of water when they step in it. And it's where they learn to swim. So, as beaches disappear, not only is there a fundamental loss in the family experience and the individual experience of growing up in Hawaii and the, the decay of a lifestyle, but we are robbing the next generation of what they remember as their finest memories because they grew up on beaches and that's where things were the best for them. Yeah, that's well, well, that is I mean, that is the at the heart of it right there is that we are uh, uh, we're faced with a a real decision here to treat these places differently than we have, at least from a management perspective. I mean, because here's here's what's at stake. This could be like a lifetime, our lifetime. This is not like, oh, 10,000 years from now the sun will burn up or whatever. And it's like, oh, heaven forbid. 
this is real. This right. is really going to happen. And what what is what I like what I appreciate about that chip is that it gets into the the fairness and the the access questions and the fact that these are fundamentally the people's place public spaces right. they are fundamentally public spaces that are important to be that that way and when you armor because like the thing is for, there's a couple things that are happening here one is the fact the reason why we can't solve the armoring problem is because we don't have we haven't figured out as a collective society at least in you know our in the american on the american shoreline we have not figured out how as a collective society to demand as the public that the beach remain that there be a public beach and that it remain and that when erosion that when we 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 bend over to the to private property interests who want to armor up Am I wrong? Well, okay, am I so, going? I mean, I don't mean to go full Bernie Sanders no, here, but come on. No, no, that's that's basically right. But the the reason, and this is something, Chip, I'd like to get your thoughts on, and it really, and the dilemma uh, as a coastal manager uh, really comes out. Like, it's not just the will of the property owners; it's the constitutional framework that we operate totally. within. That's and so, true. I do think there actually is an answer to this, and it's it. And if you prohibit uh, the construction of walls or you prohibit the economic use of property or you say you don't want the houses to be built here because the shoreline is eroding we need to have it room all of that it is a takings this is what it is under the constitution i'm sure in hawaii it's certainly in the federal constitution and so the answer from my standpoint is to get out your checkbook and buy it i think we should pay for Agreed. it and i think we should we should displace those private economic interests and we should do that within the constitutional framework. And that means putting a bunch of money together and writing checks. I mean, is that the answer, Chip? How do so, we get out of this damn problem? Boy, you've said a whole lot of stuff I want to yeah, comment I'm sorry. on. So first of all, um, if someone owns a parcel and they are prevented from uh, getting economic use out of it, uh, yes, that's a takings. But for a parcel that has been built on and has a seawall, um, for a government agency to not bail them out is not a takings. And that's true. There is no obligation for uh, federal, state, or local government to spend money uh, helping uh, out of a doomed situation a coastal landowner. Now, now that. That is not a guiding I agree rule with you. In, in my opinion of the shoreline. So, secondly, when you look at what the state or excuse me, the federal uh, CZM program holds up as its goals with regard to beaches and at the state level and at the local level as well, all of these policies identify maintaining open space, maintaining public access to and along the shoreline. Yeah. Um, and and uh, when you harden a shoreline, you violate all of that. So here are the very same agencies who are legally tasked with maintaining public access, open space, and preserving the environment, handing out seawall permits. Yeah. And I have to say, this is largely in the past. Currently, uh, it's 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 not happening with the same frequency. 
um, as it used to, but they used to hand out seawall permits like Halloween candy. Okay. And we are, so the big questions we're faced with right now is, okay, what about all these legacy seawalls? Right. How, how are we going to get rid of them? And secondly, I believe we need an effective exit strategy for all these doomed parcels, the okay. owners of these doomed parcels. I do not favor them, allowing them to just sort of fall in the ocean and say, you know, tough luck. Right. I, we need an exit strategy. And you cannot buy these properties because a beachfront property in Hawaii is $6 million. Yeah, and and that's money. a that's a teardown shack. Okay, so let's talk about that exit strategy. And and I will say, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, let's talk about the exit strategy. So given the circumstances and the cost, say the prohibitive cost of buying uh, these properties out, what, what, how, how can we possibly tackle this uh, as a policy or as a coastal management issue? What's, is, yeah. there, is there a way forward? Is there, is there a lighted path? So um, I want to point out that what you've just touched on is the missing element of the National Coastal Zone Management um, you know, uh, policy. policy umbrella. Okay. You know, the, the bundle of policies and laws do not contain a uh, comprehensive solution to getting people away from the shoreline. No. I, a friend of mine in Australia rather than using the term managed retreat or st or uh, strategic retreat he prefers the term and i do too of assisted transition okay and i think that at least on the hawaiian shoreline as you look at individual homes along the beaches you find a real range of uh, sort of financial situations you have some homes that are owned by corporations like s surf companies um, you have homes that are retreats for corporations mm -hmm. where they, you know, they send their best salespeople. Um, you have homes that are running unpermitted illegal vacation rentals. Right. Um, some of which are owner occupied, many of which are not. You have a few homes uh, where you have an elderly couple with who, who has had no children. Um, you have homes where perhaps the owners have no debt. You have homes where perhaps the owners have debt. So okay. I think that for this range of financial situations, we need a financial toolbox. Okay. Everything from, um, uh, you know, transferable development rights to, for perhaps the corporations. We will allow you to put an extra story on a building or allow you a larger footprint of a of a store or a building beyond the local zoning and in exchange uh, we work out a deal where you give the state or the county your land okay. and um, we'll figure out the cost of tearing it down another approach is for illegal vacation rentals uh, we'll give you a permit to operate for a few years we will calculate how much money you make and when you make the equivalent of what the real estate value of your property is at that point, we own the property. Well, um, I like that a lot. Well, yeah, we okay. take keep it. going. I mean, these are there very creative. Yeah, there's a whole uh, bunch, but I don't mean to cut you off. Keep going. What else would be in the financial tool? So a contingent, a contingent mortgage program where the state makes a deal with the local um, credit union. 
uh, for very favorable mortgage rates. Let's say it's 2%. Okay. Um, and uh, that mortgage is available to the homeowner contingent on them signing over the property to uh, the state or the county. At a date certain uh, in the future, something like yeah, that. And, well, or, or right now. And that mortgage I is see. used for them to transition to another piece of land someplace. They use okay. that favorable mortgage to to move out. Okay. Now, um, I mean, a couple yeah. of things I want to say here. Number one is, here we are. Uh, you're a coastal geologist by training and an expert scientist and paleoclimatologist. With an incredible resume. And you guys got to look up uh, chips. We're going to get into all, like, how do people get in touch with you thing. But, And here we are talking about a very, very technical, I would say, legal and financial discussion of how to handle the reality of what's happening, not just in Hawaii, but in other coastal states where we know these beaches matter we know that they are uh under the law uh certainly in texas here the open beaches act and is a part of our constitution of our state the right of the public to get to the shore yeah Uh, these are real things but the execution is incredibly difficult and gets very quickly into exactly what you're talking about which is how can we financially what we here's the bottom line we need these structures to get out of the way we need these seawalls these legacy seawalls to be eliminated if this situation is going to allow if we're going to have the beach that we want and if we're going to have places for the public um this becomes a governing issue and i i I was being a little bit cavalier in the takings analysis but but you know i worked I've worked on this issue for the state of Texas, but I've also put together these shoreline uh, construction standards and setbacks for counties on the Texas coast. And man, it is deep and thick. And here we are uh, as policy people and as a scientist here having to contend with the financial reality of executing this. And I really appreciate that that's what you're thinking about because it's my view that that the folks who really understand it the best are the coastal geologists out there. I think you really understand the trends and shorelines long-term and what's happening. Uh, we talked about Rob Young, our it's buddy. Okay. The jury is out. We know <laughs> the in. answer. The jury's in. Okay, whatever it is. We know what the verdict yeah. is. Okay, the verdict, is we, clear. The verdict is, is, has been announced. The verdict is that shoreline areas are going to be retreating by and large. Yeah. I feel very comfortable uh, saying that unless you're in a river delta zone well, or something some like ex- that. Yeah, there's but by and large. By and large. We're, that's where it's oceans happening. are getting bigger, lands getting smaller. Okay. Is that yep. is that so Yeah. No. So so with regard so there I have a couple comments. With regard to the cost of um, willing seller buyouts or even unwilling seller buyouts, is a home actively being undermined, let's say the front porch of the home is hanging over uh, a lip and underneath there's a wave cut notch in the sand. Yeah. Um, Is that home still worth $6 million? No. And there are experts. We have them uh, in the land division of our natural resource agency. There are experts who know how to assign value to places like that. So we put these people to work. Um, they tell us, you know what, the, the real value of this is maybe $400,000 or maybe it's $1 million. It, it depends on, yeah. you know, you my, know my what, dad what picked it looks one like of those for the up. life. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you so, have to you have to account for these conditions and and yeah. Yes, quite quite correctly. Yes, keep going. So that's that's one element. Mm-hmm. Another element. Hawaii has um, a wonderful administrative jurisdictional line called the shoreline, and it marks the boundary between state conservation land okay. uh, on the ocean side right. and any number of jurisdictions on the landward side. But if you're talking about a neighborhood of beachfront homes, that's county jurisdiction, right? Okay. All right. And this line is uh, determined, it's defined as the upper reach of the wash of the waves hmm. at okay. high tide All right. during the time of the year when the waves are highest, wow. but not counting not counting tsunamis or hurricanes. Okay. So, um, you know, as sea level rises, this administrative shoreline Moves advances landward. landward. Yeah. And our attorney general uh, came out with an opinion two or three years ago, and he said, number one, as this line advances landward, the ownership of the land automatically converts to public state ownership, public right. ownership. Yeah. Uh, number two, the private owner does not need to be noticed about this. Number three, the private owner does not need to be compensated for this. Right. So this is almost, this is, I like I mean, that. The word, yeah. The word rolling easement. I know you guys uh, in Texas have this concept of a rolling easement. The, the more planners I talk to about rolling easements, the more confused I get. But anyway, this is it's, kind of a rolling easement. It is. Yeah. And, um, and so it perpetually uh, keeps up with sea level rise and, and allows the public to continue accessing the beaches, uh, provided we're not destroying them otherwise. Yeah, so I like that, because that to me is your stick. That you're saying, hey, look, uh, when nature comes and takes it, yeah, it's gone, and you will not be compensated, no. and it's gone. Yeah, I always said in those situations, if you want to sue somebody, sue God. I mean, he's doing it. It's the way. <laughs> right. It's not. It's not the state. This is the natural environment is shifting but, the line. Right, and it's also like because because of the God thing, you have the perfect like politically, it's viable to do that. Like you you can get away with that one because you say, well, you know, look, look, it's it's an act of this is the direction that nature's going, right. and it's. But stay- the other side, the other side's the tricky part. It's the rules coming from the landward side. Yeah, what, what if where there's the, a wall right there? Well, yeah. and see the line, the, the state owner, the state on. Sorry, go ahead. No, go please. Well, continue I'm, your thought. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm talking about as as the in Texas too. It's the mean higher high water line. Essentially, the the boundary line between state-owned submerged land and the upland private interest or county, whatever it is, uh, and it moves, of course. But when you've got an armored shoreline, the water's going to come up to that wall and it's going to stop and it doesn't move further seaward. So. How was that thought about in Hawaii, that particular situation? Well, that wall then becomes non-conforming. Okay. Right? It's not flat out illegal. Well, it might be an illegal wall to begin with, and it will stay illegal as long as, you know, it it never even attempted to get any permits to be built. But um, we have a date, 1964, prior to which any walls built are sort of grandfathered in as unpermitted but non-conforming. Uh, to our management system and walls that have been permitted and that are younger than 1964 say they were built in the 80s or 90s or something when the water line laps up against the base of that wall it's cons- it's considered 
to be on state property, on conservation land, or as you said, submerged lands. So that wall might have previously been on private land, but as soon as the upper reach of the wash of the waves uh, touches it, it's now considered on state land, <clears throat> and the owner needs to apply to the state for an easement because right. they've got something on public land. Yeah, And that's another sort of leverage point where I think we're not taking full advantage of an opportunity to to put a timeline on these legacy walls. Right. Um, an easement could be awarded, but let's not make it a 50-year easement. Let's make it a five-year easement or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, okay, yeah. so when we're looking at the sum total, what we're talking about here, Tyler, is, is what, what is the governmental response to this particular physical problem, the physical reality of the work that you're doing, uh, Dr. Fletcher, in describing the changing shoreline <laughs> position, all of this stuff, it's damn real. It's going to continue to happen. Uh, we're talking about the government's response to that. And so if you look around Hawaii right now, are there examples where the bulldozers have come out, whatever mechanism, all, we're talking about a variety of financing mechanisms, a variety of leverage points in the, in, in the in relationship between the public and private interests here. Any bulldozing going on? Any of these damn walls coming down? Houses being moved? Is there a track record? of execution anywhere yet? I wouldn't call it a track record. Um, there are a number of cases that are in court uh, where, where illegal walls um, have been built and the state is suing the owners. So those are still okay. playing out. Right. There are examples of where bulldozers have come uh, and taken down um, you know, boulders that have been dumped or things like that. Right. Illegal um, placement kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know of any cases where a full on illegal, you know, big wall or a revetment um, has been removed. Um, we may see that as these court cases play out. But I'll also tell you that there are dozens of homes on world-famous Sunset Beach, sung about by the Beach Boys. Dozens oh, we of love homes the Beach Boys there. on this program. Yeah. Um, that are actively uh, being undermined, and they are being provided with the um, ability to place geotextile cloth. So this very thick sort of industrial cloth, uh, they use it, um, to, to sort of lay up against the sandy embankment underneath the home, which is the advancing front of erosion. And uh, they're being allowed to bulldoze the top foot, one foot of loose sand on the beach to sort of bury the base of that, of that geotextile cloth. So these are not quasi-permanent walls. They are pieces of industrial fabric which stop erosion the thinking is that they won't last for very long, although many of them have now lasted about three or four seasons, but they will eventually get swept away, and many of them, that's happening. And this was a one-time um, agreement. They weren't permitted, but they were told, go ahead and do that if you wish, we won't object. And so there, there is that sort of uh, tool that's okay. been applied, and it to me, it just demonstrates how we're, this is a drowning person 
right? I mean, from the from the government policy point of view, from the landowner point of view, from the from the NGO point of view, who wants to protect ecosystems and the beaches, the whole situation is literally drowning, and we're doing weak things like, oh, here you can put this cloth in front of your house to prevent it from being actively undermined. So that leads me. My point is the number one need in Hawaii and and many other places and eventually will be everywhere is to develop an assisted transition program for these doomed locations. And one approach is this sort of financial toolbox so that people can be made at least partially whole as they're induced to walk away from their lifelong investments. Wow. Well, I couldn't agree with that more strongly. Now, I have got to tell you before we wrap this bad boy up. So my father picked up one of these distressed properties that had a severe erosion issue on uh, uh, the island of Hawaii, the big the big island. Mm. And uh, he just couldn't resist it. I tried to talk him out of it and just to no avail. He's very strong willed. And uh, but he is con- he's running vetiver grass, man. No, no concrete up in this operation. It is vetiver. Keep that stuff out of Hawaii because it's an invasive weed. Really? Okay, this and is it's good. No better than a seawall. It's a vegetative really? green seawall. Okay, so it locks this is up good. the sand just like a seawall does. Okay, so, so your your feeling is that there is no. We got to go just re- with a give the beach room. There's just yeah, no. Excuse. There's no better mousetrap. I mean, mm-hmm. constantly people are like, hey, I've discovered how yeah. to build a wall and not damage the beach. I'm sorry. The fourth grader in me says that's completely impossible because right. yeah. sea levels rising. Conservation of mass. I think this has been thought out. Uh, I agree yeah. with you, and, and I call them beach toys. There's all kinds of tricks and trades. Now, I do prefer vegetation, but but uh, Dr. Fletcher, what we're talking about here with this geotextile fabric solution and the the one foot of scraping up some sand and all this baloney is is what you're what you're uh, describing here is the difficult political calculation uh, that is uh, inherent in these questions. And there isn't any way out of the trap here uh, in terms of what the demands of the upland owners are going to be and uh, what the what the public interest may be. And I'll just tell you this story. In, in Texas, Jim Maddox was an aggressive attorney general, a strong believer uh, in the Open Beaches Act. When was this? This was was back in the 80s. And after a couple of tropical storms had moved the line of vegetation landward, and there were structures out on the public beach in what would be the conservation zone in Hawaii, but would be in the public beach easement in Texas, and went to court and sued for the removal of these structures. We also did this when I was at the land office as a coastal program director for 107 houses after a tropical storm wave had hit nice. the Texas coast. Wow. Now, none of the damn houses were ordered off the beach by the courts. And it's not because the law isn't there. It's because what you mentioned, the equities here are in are, are in the are not in favor of the public interest here. It is like kicking right. somebody when they're down. The storm has occurred. There's an old lady who lives there. She's had it in her family, blah, blah, blah. And ben, you're going to get what you're going to tell her, really? You're going to get a, a bulldozer and you're going to bring it down. And I, I bring this up only to say 
that not to say that this cannot be done. It's the, the kind of discussion you're introducing here to have this financial toolbox, to have a, 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 a set of instruments that can be can be applied given the wide range of private interests. You described five or six ownership models that are at play here that can be treated differently. This is very complicated. And this is the demand that I've been making to Rob Young at the Center for Developed Shorelines, who is a big believer that these shorelines have got to be able to move. We've got to get off the damn barrier islands in particular. And I think what you're saying, which I do not disagree with, but the level of effort that has to go into the policy development this i have not seen it in the academic institutions that i respect i think we have got to put as much energy into figuring out the the financial econ the financial legal and political solution here as we do in trying to understand shoreline change rates and all the other super technical stuff that the geologists and the scientists work well, it's, on it's tough it's we just gotta, really we tough. gotta work on it i think i mean i think that Yes, I agree. I agree. What do you What do you think, Chip? So, look, we managed to come up with two trillion dollars as a coronavirus relief package. Yeah, and we managed to come up with huge sums of money for all types of national emergencies when they occur. Yeah, why can't we come up with one billion per year to fund a program? Got it. In assisted transition, it is a national problem because the whole it. nation um, vacations on our beaches. Your beaches, my beaches, their beaches. This is a national problem, and a billion mm -hmm. dollars is that's like you could do some hunting for that. quarters in the couch cushions after you've been watching TV all night. A billion dollars, the <laughs> yeah. federal government can afford, right. and you would do some amazing good if you had that budget year after year after year. Well, I agree. And, and, you know, this is what I'm saying when I said the answer is, uh, is to get out your checkbook. That's what right. we need to do. We need we, we know this is an interest on Gotta the shoreline. Got to put our money where our mouth is. We should. And I think I would say a couple of things. One, you need a dedicated source like that. This is not easy to do. Uh, the Stafford Act and, and attempts on hazard mitigation funding for relocation of structures has been politically it's tough, but number one, yes, a big bank account to work with, and I actually think a, a special court system to resolve. Can I and one, to, to, to handle these cases and to come up with fair market values and do all the stuff Chip's talking about? I love it. And yeah. for our policy people in D.C. who listen to this program, yeah, there's got, a bunch of them. Hey, uh, a pilot program. Can we find a place where a state that maybe it's Hawaii, maybe it is, but it is. But let's yeah. find a pilot. A pilot state mm -hmm. for the nation to pioneer this program. We will be doing this everywhere. Yeah, it'll be money well spent, ladies and gentlemen. It. We should yeah. do that. So, and you got Chip. You got these smart guys over there that can help sort this thing out. I set think it so. Up. So, uh, I think that we we need to start getting. It's a it's like skill development. We're we need to learn. It's like I'm I'm trying to go to the moon. Yeah, we got it. Well, well let's start by going to space, and yeah. we're let's start with. I, I think it's going to take money. I think we need to grease the skids. We need to fill, figure out the social, the the social stuff, the politics of it, which yeah. I think are actually much more difficult and need a lot more. Uh, there needs to be a positive element. It can't just be we're taking away. It's got to be we're getting no. people the beach no. back. We're we're reclaiming the it's public a, it's, space. It's got to it's got to trend optimistically into the new era. That's why I like you know when we talk about. 
you know, Green New Deal style stuff. I like the I, I like I like the branding specifically. You know, forget mm-hmm. forget. I like the idea of making climate adaptivity a better world that that we get to live in. We we reap the we reap the benefits of these investments. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I would. Yeah, I, I'm into that. that. It is an investment, and it's an investment in our children. Giving these beaches back, reclaiming the beaches, is an investment in our children. And one of the things that's going to get in the way here is the uh, common opinion that oh, those beachfront landowners are zillionaires. Why are we spending public dollars to help them out? Right. At least in Hawaii, they are not all zillionaires. I mean, certainly we have our share, but you also have a lot of folks who inherited their property, um, f- folks that uh, bought the property during a moment in their career when they had that expendable income, but since then have gone in a different direction. We, we, we need them all uh, to be considered under this program. You. I mean, it's illegal to to say, right. "I'm sorry, you can't be in this program" because your annual salary is over, you know, four hundred thousand dollars or something. No, but people are going to have to get they're going to have to move past that because it's not yeah. about that homeowner; it is about the beaches and our children. One hundred percent, and I, I just think it's great. And this is one of the things I love talking to coastal professionals like yourself, particularly the scientists and the engineers uh, from a variety of disciplines. Is when you work around coastal issues long enough even though you're working at it from a scientific perspective, you end up, and it happens all the time, and I talk to the engineers who end up, up to their neck in environmental policy, or this in this particular case, uh, the property rights issue and programs, policies and programs ideas that uh, respond to the, to the thing they understand about the world. What you inherently, what you know from all of the work you've done for 30 years, you know damn well what's happening. It's absolutely the truth. I have no patience for people who can't get past, you know, that can't get to the scientific truth. But you end up in this very complicated policy world. And I'm a big advocate of the scientist doing what you're doing, which is participating and taking a role in the public policy discussion that has to happen. I think you guys are the best at the credibility, yet you know that you can defend the understandings. But man, it is complicated, and I just think we haven't done enough work on the execution side of the policy. And this toolbox idea that you're talking about, and I followed the ideas that you said, and there's there's a variety of folks who are giving this some thought, but man, I wanna see the institute that is created in some coastal university that is the legal and policy you know, institute to yeah. get serious about this. I agree. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? We need That'd it because cool. it's hard. It's damn hard. Well, and I'll just add one one other thing is that I think that we are actually very strong, like our our in our adaptivity quotient, if you will. Okay. I I view there I view it as like we're very strong at the highest end. Like I actually think that like the theory of what of creative ways in which to address adaptation whether it's shoreline retreat these this toolbox you know of of ways to lessen the burden of cr- all this stuff mm-hmm. that we talked about on the show today as one example of of an area of adaptivity uh, and then i look at the other side like way back down at the grassroots level it's also very strong there are incredible organizations and devoted people that, you know, organizations that have grown and grown and grown. I look at the Surfrider Foundation 
and elsewhere where there's just been tremendous grassroots work. The middle is missing. Hmm. Marrying the big picture, big policy stuff, which is honestly pretty freaking cool. If you ask me, I'd sign up for a lot of that stuff with the Hmm. I can do this. This is good for me in my life. This is about my community, my environment, my beach, my town. Creating that connection is what's missing. And I view that very much as a political kind of leadership zone. It's one of the things we're trying to do, Peter, obviously, with this uh, yeah. this damn podcast network is is get better at talking about this stuff. Just, yeah, you know, I was just going to say, um, you know, the first step towards uh, change. Uh, well, maybe the first step towards change is nonviolent civil disobedience. But certainly one of the first steps has to be public education. And that's what you guys are ch- are choosing to do with this podcast trying yeah absolutely yeah well you know uh one thing i'll mention and i uh in terms of execution uh in the in, in the toolbox the show tire that we did out in uh, savannah when we were in savannah at the social coast forum with skip styles with wetlands watch here's another biologist and a guy who's a, a technical scientist who's now leading an organization a nonprofit organization in the Norfolk, Virginia area that's suffering from a lot of sea level rise and working on land management policies and coming up with creative ways to do what what mm. what uh, what you're talking well, they're, about. They're buying people out, which is, this is the but, but it's in a very creative way yeah, and, is, and, and, and working. I mean, so there, there are these innovators out there, uh, but I'm with you, uh, Chip. I think a significant investment tied with a just an, a, a toolbox of, of, of ways to approach these property rights issues and to work through them in a very site-specific kind of way is where we're going to have to go. That's where we, that's the, the hard work. That's ahead. where we got to go. Yeah. One size does not fit all. Absolutely. Well, Chip, wait, uh, and, yeah. can we give you a, please a closing thoughts and wherever you want to go, uh, please take a moment and, and we want to, I know we've taken a lot of your time here, but I want to hear hear your closing thoughts. And I also want to make sure that our listeners know how to find you and, and learn about the work that you're doing. So those are the two things I want to make sure we do. Uh, well, thank you. Um, this has been a great discussion and, um, it's such a joy to talk about, um, as you put it, these complex issues, indeed they are, uh, with people who are committed and concerned about them. And, and I, I really think it's fantastic. Um, I want to point out to people, you know, there are some assumptions in people's brains that we did, we are privy to, we don't know. For instance, people, I think, believe that sea level rise kills beaches just because it's sea level rise. And I want to point out that uh, during the last ice age, which was 20,000 years ago, sea level was 400 feet lower. And as world sea level has risen, the beaches have simply rolled right with the water's edge and survived sea level rise just fine. Sea level rise in and of itself need not be damaging to beaches. It is um, anthropogenic development of the land that is damaging to beaches. And it's not only seawalls, it's also landscaping out of existence, sand dunes, which I know are protected up and down the East Coast, but um, it's been hard to get them protected here in Hawaii. Mm. 
uh, and there are very few of them left. People love to lower them and put their backyards on them so they can see the ocean. Right. Um, and I hate that. That always pisses me off. Yeah. When they, and when I used to get those permits at the state that want to drop the dune height from 19 feet down to 10 so they can see the water, I said, build your house higher anyway. But you can't, yep. these protective features, anyway. No, no. Are you kidding? Build your house low in the dunes. Yeah. I mean, that's the move, is to be in the dune. I, anyway, anyway, we don't yeah. need to get into that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, you know, all this is happening now in a out-of-date, dysfunctional, national, state, and local management regime, which nowhere recognizes sea level rise, um, offers tools, effective tools for accelerated sea level rise. You know, the setback, the coastal setback used to be good, but after a century of slow sea level rise, it's mm -hmm. now proving inadequate um, in more and more places. Sea level rise is accelerating. Um, I love to watch the science on the Antarctic and Greenland ice sheets. And yeah. You know, over the course of the summer, Greenland was declared as past a tipping point, is going yeah. to melt no matter what we do. Um, the West Antarctic ice sheet of uh, the glaciers of Pine Island and Thwaites Glacier are now showing huge crevasses that are new, that are, are indicating that the buffering system keeping that ice in place is breaking down. There are just lots of reasons why yeah. things are converging and the federal program better get on the problem of assisting with the transition of these doomed beachfront landowners uh, away from their location. Well, I think it really well said. Uh, I think that's the challenge ahead for the coastal professionals around the American shoreline, both as the science side of it, the engineering community, and all of the policy people. Uh, this is a reality. I think the challenges that you're describing and describing your paper uh, are absolutely accurate and going to be uh, are indicative of the changes in many parts of the coastlines of America. And uh, we got to get ready. And I, I kind of agree with you. We're not quite up to the task yet. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you're probably going to want to learn a little bit more about uh, Chip Fletcher and his group, the Coastal Geology Group. And I'm telling you, Peter, yeah. we're talking about communication. And all due respect here, uh, Chip, but uh, I'm looking at your guys' website, and the URL could use some work. Uh, I'm not even... You're, you're looking at the old one. Okay, okay, that's we good. Have, we have a new one, and we haven't launched it yet. Maybe next week. Okay, good. Well, let, let me just say, if y'all Google, just go to Google and uh, go to the University of Hawaii at Manoa uh, School of Ocean and Earth Science and Technology. The Coastal Geology Group is what you want to look for. That's where you'll find Chip Fletcher, all his information, uh, the work they're doing, very interesting stuff. And uh, I look forward to following along as you guys continue to study this area and come up with unique solutions there to try to get, try to get the keep the beach, I guess, is really the, the yeah, message. That's a good bumper sticker. Keep the beach. Keep yeah, the beach. Hey, Why look we, at us go yeah, here. That's a, that should be a sticker. How about, how about Got Beach? Is that still, or is that too... Uh, I think we can do that, Got Beach. I'll tell you, got I think... Beach got milk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think we might be able to do that. We might have to get in contact with the milk lobby. <laughs> they might... <laughs> 
Well, if they care about the world, they'll certainly wouldn't give a complaint for the people trying to protect these shorelines. We need them. And I think uh, the point that you made about how important it is to the psyche of the human race, I mean, I, I don't think that's overblown. Uh, these shorelines matter around the world. They're under a great deal of stress. And uh, we really appreciate folks like you, Dr. Fletcher, who spend their careers uh, trying to sort these problems out, understand the risks, and then tread you know, ever so gently into the complicated world of uh, government policy to get it done, which is a yeah. nightmare sometimes. But uh, I really well, appreciate what you, you guys are thank doing. Thank you very much. I sent you the URL for our new site. So we'll put go. it in the show notes. We'll put it uh, okay. when we put the show up on uh, coming up next week. We'll link. We'll link to we'll it. link to it. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, it's Dr. Charles Chip Fletcher at the University of Hawaii Manoa. He's the associate dean and the professor of Earth Sciences at the School of Ocean and Science Technology. Uh, <laughs> close enough. He's a really smart guy. He's working hard in the Coastal Geology Group in Hawaii and an expert on the matter. Uh, I'd encourage folks to, to look you up, look for your uh, research, and follow along. Uh, why not, at least in the beautiful state of Hawaii, great place to follow an issue like this. That's right. Thank you very much. I've had a, I've had a great time. Thank you so Thanks. much for the time. Appreciate it. Yeah.